From studying neuroscience to becoming a ski bum to finding a home at Panasonic, Kellen Pooker's journey has been one with many twists and turns. But today, Kellen is pretty settled in as Director of Strategic Initiatives at Panasonic USA. Right now, Panasonic is working on deploying the world's first connected vehicle ecosystem, and Kellen is helping lead the team that's building the technology necessary to make it work. He explains all the intricacies of the task and the larger goal of the program on this episode of IT Visionaries, hosted by me, mission producer Hillary Georgie. Enjoy this conversation. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Hillary Georgie, and uh, on the other line, Kellen, how are you? Doing really well, Hillary. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for being here. I'm excited to talk to you about everything Panasonic and all things, all the cool things that you're working on. So let's dive right in. Why don't you first tell me how did you first get involved in technology? Oh man, (laughs) (laughs) an easy question to start out. Totally. So um, I'll be totally honest. My path to technology was a little bit circuitous and roundabout. Um, I actually graduated Miami University back in 2008. And my focus was um, biological psychology and neuroscience. Um, I managed to time my graduation during the midst of the Great Recession. (laughs) Excellent um, job. It was, you know, they really weren't handing out a lot of jobs to prospective neuroscientists at the time. So um, I landed in Colorado and was doing kind of the ski bum thing. I was a ski instructor in Breckenridge for a little while. And eventually, um, after a couple of years, worked my way into um, the analytical sciences and biotech industry and and moved out to California for a couple of years. Then I uh, segued into telecommunications where I was with level three for a number of years. And then for the last almost three years, um, I've been with Panasonic really transitioning from telecommunications into how do you apply some of that communications technology into connecting our vehicles and and making us safer on the road. That's such an interesting road you took. And so you brought it up a little bit. I want to know, what is your role right now at Panasonic? What's the scope of your role? What are some of the projects you're working on? Some things that we might be familiar with, or maybe even we're not familiar with. Yeah. So um, I would guess I know that we have a very sophisticated audience, but I would guess that um, not a lot of folks are that familiar with what it is that we're up to because it's such a nascent and exciting um, technology field. But I work for a a specific business vertical within Panasonic North America that is focused on um, connected vehicle systems. So really the application of IoT type thinking and lessons to um, the digitalization of and software that helps to run Um, vehicles of today and ultimately informs operations tomorrow. So within that group, uh, I serve as the director for strategic initiatives, and that is really all things business development. So I sit down and work directly with a lot of the departments of transportation and the cities who hope to work with us and partner on our platform to capture and leverage this data that we're talking about with connected vehicles. I also help to groom the let's call it the ecosystem or the garden of uh, partners that we've got in the private industry that really enable what it is that we're up to. Awesome. All right. So I'd love to get your kind of 
viewpoint of the current state of transportation. I think we all hear a lot about autonomous cars and connected vehicles and, you know, flying cars and all this stuff. But what is your overall picture in terms of cars and trucks and planes and trains and all of this technology that we're already currently using? Sure. Um, So that's a great question and a Big question. (laughs) I think it does a good job kind of framing um, the conversation that I I hope we're going to have today. So I want to couch my answer by saying, first and foremost, to the audience that in general, I count myself as definitely an optimist, right? But that being said, I think that the the current state of transportation is defined by the term or the word challenging. Um, And by that, I mean, there are a couple of, of hidden costs to transportation that I think a lot of people don't really spend, frankly, enough time um, thinking about or considering. The first of those is safety, right? So every stakeholder related to transportation, whether it be the auto manufacturers, um, again, those departments of transportation, really anybody who touches or informs how we, how we get from point A to point B or, or transmit goods and services is going to be interested in safety, right? But if you look at really our trajectory in just the US over the last couple of years, going back to 2014, 2013, and then fast forwarding to today, believe it or not, our roads are actually slightly less safe now than they were just a few years ago. Um, That's so depressing. It, it can be, right? And um, it's driven by a number of things, but looking at, at the true cost again, which is unfortunately lives lost on our roads, um, 33,000 fatalities back in in 2015 or 14, I believe. And that's actually risen about 33% to almost 40,000 per year in this country, almost almost 40,000 every year. So so that's one of the true costs. And that's why I say that it's really challenging. And then one of the other pieces too is just the frustration and the inefficiency of the system, especially as populations grow, um, as we start to really urbanize or move towards these city centers um, through the millennial generation and, and all those generations coming behind. So in 2000, we as a country spent about 5 billion hours in just urban traffic congestion in the U.S. And if you fast forward those two decades to 2019 or about now, you're much closer to 9 billion hours wasted. And to frame that against what we were just talking about, which is lives, right? For every billion hours that we as a nation collectively waste, that's roughly equivalent to 1,500 human lives worth of hours that we're effectively just wasting um, through inefficiency in the system. So, you know, to to again, um, compare that to where we were just two decades ago, we're wasting about 6,000 more human lives, quote unquote, worth of hours, um, just from the result of inefficiency in the system. So this is an, it's an, it's a historically analog system when we talk about transportation. And I think it's just absolutely rife and ready for a true positive digital disruption. Tell me a little bit about the Panasonic technology that you're working on. I know you guys have been introducing V2X technology. I'd love to talk a little bit about that. Um, some of the other projects you're working on. How are you kind of getting into this playing field and reducing those inefficiencies, addressing those hidden costs that you were talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important to to really recognize that, you know, we had, we had touched earlier kind of in the question anyway on this rise of automation. Mm-hmm. Before you can really have autonomous vehicles, you've got to be implementing digital solutions into the vehicles themselves, right? So the way that we've seen that grow is that over the last three decades, the n- amount of software, the amount of sensors that's embedded in all of the vehicles that are rolling off the lot from these automakers has grown significantly. So the real theory here, the the hypothesis behind connected vehicle technology or V to X as we call it, which means vehicle to everything technology is, can we as an industry standardize all of the data that's coming from those sensors that are already on the vehicle today and create a two-way communication so that the car is both sharing and receiving data 
with a broader network, um, but also with other vehicles that are driving nearby. And again, can you standardize that throughout the industry so that you can capture benefit regardless of what make and model you choose to be driving? Um, so it's really about, again, that application of IoT type thinking um, that we call V to X technology to transportation systems. And through that, can you do things like publishing alerts directly into a screen or an audio display in your vehicle cabin to warn you when a dangerous circumstance is arising or to um, head off a pileup collision as something occurs on the road? For now, it's all about can you augment what a human's capable of doing by giving a more and better real-time information? And I think that downstream, it's about can you use this exact same communication protocol to manage at kind of a network level all of these different autonomous vehicles that we anticipate are going to be out on the road? Um, can you help them coordinate with one another effectively? So that's really what we're up to. So how do you go about creating this technology, implementing it, and, and, and convincing other people to use it, I guess, is like, who are you working with? Who are you selling to? And, and how are you kind of measuring the impact of this technology? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's really, if you want to think about it in terms of the systems that are required, there's really three key pieces to this. Number one is um, you've got to have a piece of hardware effectively, a radio um, or a 5G or LTE connected device, right, that goes in the vehicle, hooks up to all of those sensors and is able to both broadcast and receive that data. So for us, we call that the onboard unit. That's the piece that we install in the vehicles. Then you've got, um, for the departments of transportation to collect or broadcast all of that data, you've got roadside units. So these are static infrastructure pieces that go at the roadside, hang on existing um, traffic signal poles, that kind of thing. And it effectively creates that network that again, collects all of that data coming from the vehicles and can publish back to them. What Panasonic is really very focused on is beyond just the hardware for what goes in the vehicle and what goes at the roadside, what are you gonna do with all of that data, right? Because we need a new operating system. So what our division is really working on is a next generation traffic operations system. Um, I like to call it an operating system that's really predicated on all of that standardized data that's coming from the cars. So um, another way that I like to think about this or analogize is think of it like, every single vehicle now out on the roadway is effectively a nerve ending in the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So we're working on equipping that nervous system so that you're getting all of that real-time data to and from the actual vehicles and drivers that are interacting with the transportation system. And then we're also working on this Cirrus platform by Panasonic, which is kind of the central brain that does something really meaningful with that data and can analyze all of that data throughout a city and a region, possibly even the nation. That's so impressive. This Cirrus platform is something I'm really interested in and mm -hmm. how it how it works, because we know that there is a huge amount of data. So how what kind of systems and processes are being used to interpret all that data to kind of siphon out what's important and, and get it to, you know, to have those two way conversations so that you have the alerts that you need. You have only the data that you need and you're not bogged down with all of this excess. Yes. So <laughs> how much time do you have? <laughs> um, so, you know, it's funny, you're touching on something that we lead a lot of our presentations with, right? Which is there's this term right now called big data, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of a very in vogue term in a number of industries. When we're talking about transportation data, I think we really take the cake and we are the ones who set the definition for what big data means. So um, looking at connected vehicle projections for just the next couple of years, right? The, the cars that we know are gonna be starting to come from the automakers with this technology kind of already embedded or standard in um, 
through the manufacturing process, you're talking about in a given state, like a state like my home state of Colorado, you're looking at producing 20 terabytes of data every single hour. So if you extrapolate that out and you look nationwide, you're talking about data on the scale of 150, 200 petabytes of data every single year. Wow. And your point, you've got to sift and sort through all of that data to find the meaningful kind of needles in the haystack in as close to real time as you possibly can, because in a lot of cases, this is safety critical, right? We're trying to head off collisions or improve operations on the roadway in real time. So we've got a number of different strategies that we're looking at. The first is we've got to make sure that we're building our brain, our Cirrus platform, if you will, to be as resilient and scalable as possible. So how do we really have it in a, a hosted environment so that we can scale up the processing power needed, apply things like analytics or machine learning to really improve our modeling efficiency and move from, from reactive into more predictive type um, analysis and output? But there's another strategy that we're using, and that's really, again, part of my, my focus, which is partnerships. And that's um, partnering with firms that are focused on what's called edge compute. And can you build edge compute into the, the connected vehicle of the V2X network that we're architecting so that you can actually filter through, sort, and prioritize a lot of that data at the edge of the network so you don't have to burden the central system with what maybe isn't um, important in that moment. So those are a couple of the strategies that we're really looking at. Um, but yeah, the, the scale challenge is certainly one that's challenging. So that's what we're after. Yeah. I mean, the edge, we have talked to so many people recently about edge computing and trying to get that, you know, more into the mainstream because it can solve so many problems. You can, you can just do a lot more in a more efficient way. So it's interesting that you're Absolutely. kind of putting that into into the serious platform and, and, and all of these things that you're doing. And I know that just a few months ago in Utah, they started using that, right? You, you kind of had a use case out there. I'd love to hear you talk about what you guys did in Utah with the vehicle platform. Yeah, totally. So um, it's less of what we've done and more of what we're doing in Utah, mm -hmm. really. Um, so you're touching on a, a brand new and incredibly exciting partnership for us with the Utah Department of Transportation um, that was awarded um, between Panasonic and, and UDOT uh, starting at the beginning of this year, actually. So what we're doing is we're kicking off a five-year effort, and that includes the, the deployment of a lot of this hardware into UDOT vehicles at first and then, and then other cooperative fleets. So actually getting some of this technology built into cars that didn't have it coming directly from the automaker so that we can prepare the Department of Transportation for what that's going to look like and really start to construct this brain or this serious platform off of real world driving data. We're also managing the deployment of those roadside units. So um, all of the that static field infrastructure that builds that network that collects all of this Vita X data. Beyond that, um, we're actually working hand in hand and engaging Utah constantly in um, a really interesting and iterative user research process where we're constantly delivering to them functioning software from the Cirrus platform. And they're providing us real-time feedback in terms of what features and what data is most compelling and interesting and how it's ultimately going to impact their traffic operations in the next couple of years. So what are you hoping to find? Or can you even like, I know you don't have a crystal ball, you can't really predict the future, but what, what are kind of the things that you're, you're most interested in seeing play out in this partnership and in, in your other partnerships? 
Yeah, so that's definitely going to um, change and evolve uh, over time, right? So every single year, we're kind of revisiting that with a lot of these departments of transportation and getting their feedback for what they'd like us to investigate next or how we continue to kind of sharpen our pencil as it relates to the work that we've done. But I can share with you some very exciting updates, for example, in Utah and, and what some of their initial kind of first year interests are. So thinking about the vehicle as a sensor out in the field, right? Um, let's take some of the sensors that I'm sure everybody who's listening is going to be familiar with. So you've got a sensor that tells you um, the ambient air temperature outside. It's got a, a road friction sensing, your anti-lock braking system, your windshield wiper set, right? If you take just that data from a connected vehicle and you somehow fuse it with meteorological data or other data that a DOT or a city might have about um, what they think is happening from a weather perspective, you can start to fuse all of that data, apply analytics and machine learning, and now you get this incredibly granular understanding of exactly where and how snow or ice is actually impacting drivers in real time. So now rather than waiting for snow to actually start to fall or freezing temperatures to dip and for black ice sheets to form or insurmountable driving conditions, you can actually detect that in real time, maybe even before the driver is detecting it because the car is telling you that the wheel is slipping ever so slightly a percentage. And now you can deploy your snow plows in real time, right? So um, weather is a, is a great kind of first low hanging fruit use case that we're really going after with this connected vehicle data. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And we're also looking at some things like safety. So um, a lot of, of fatalities are unfortunately caused by people taking curves a little bit too quickly and running off the road. So in Utah, as an example, one of the first things that they said was, can we publish curve speed warnings to drivers that have connected vehicle technology, advising them on how to take um, an upcoming curve based on the geometry of the roadway, which we know is, is fixed and we can advise against. So um, lots of applications exactly like that. And Really, once you start to unlock all of this data, we're touching on, I mean, literally the tip of the iceberg. There are probably a million use cases that haven't even been thought of yet, um, and we're excited to get there. And in practice, I'm curious about what this looks like. So is this something that, like, you'll get an alert if you're in your car from the car? Like, is it like a Siri voice telling you, like, hey, you should take this curve at, you know, 23 miles per hour or whatever it is? Yes, exactly right. So it could be exactly that, right? Um, there are... And this is where the partnership perspective really comes in. At the moment, we can work with DOTs to actually equip this network and collect all of this data. We can build the analytics engine, the Cirrus platform that's going to digest it all and be able to advise you on what type of alerts you might want to provide or how to better run your roadways. But you've also got to partner with the automakers mm -hmm. because they're the ones who are experts at how does this information actually hit the vehicle cabin? And then how do their drivers best engage with or absorb that information? So to your point, it could be an audio alert. It could be a notification that pops up on the dashboard screen that we're all familiar with for our infotainment systems. Um, there's a million and one ways that you could accomplish it. And that's exactly kind of how we're thinking about it. That's well, That was my next question. Like, how do you work with um, the automakers, the people who are going to be putting this technology into their vehicles? Is there a collaboration? Like, are your engineers working with their engineers? Like, how does that teamwork look? Or are you just selling them the technology? No, yeah. So um, we work hand in hand with them. Exactly. So uh, one thing, two things really as kind of a, an outlay to this that are really important. So Panasonic, believe it or not, even though we're, we're probably best known for our, you know, 
televisions, microwaves. <laughs> We're actually very strategically not that interested or investing heavily in manufacturing, at least ourselves, the hardware that's going to enable this. So we're actually working with a lot of third parties to enable that because we're so focused on bringing to bear the partnerships, aligning the right stakeholders, and building the platform that's going to manage all of that data, right? But another thing that people probably don't know about Panasonic is if you look at us as a global operation, right? We're about one third by revenue, a tier one automotive supplier, meaning a huge amount of Panasonic's business is actually white labeling technology sets that are already being implemented to the automakers. But it affords us this line of sight to what the automakers are interested in. And it actually affords us this ability to sit down and have these conversations about how do we partner because both the automakers and Panasonic are interested in capturing that safety benefit and efficiency benefit of connected vehicle technology. So um, to highlight one extraordinary partnership that we had kicked off here in uh, 2017, we're actually already partnered with Ford Motor Company. They are enabling us to collect connected vehicle data from specific makes and models within the Ford fleet, um, especially those that are being run and operated by these DOTs. We're then also working with them to help understand how does this data that they're helping to feed us inform those use cases and um, also creating that line of sight and that narrative around how are they, the automaker, then going to take those messages and, and display it to their end consumers. I'm wondering what kind of thought process and, and process you have in place for, for data privacy, because somebody gets in their car, you, you, you're expecting kind of that's a, a safe place for you. And obviously yep. now your car is emitting all this data. If you got your phone in your car, your phone's connected to everything. So what kind of privacy are you guys looking at to, to protect the privacy of things that maybe the drivers or the, the vehicle owners don't want out versus what they do want out? Right. Yeah. So that's a great question. And it's one of one of two that we give every time that we touch on this subject. The other, of course, being security for the data, right? How do you not hack my car? Yeah, um, that's a good one too. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think privacy is absolutely critically important. And it's really important to understand that there is actually privacy baked into the standards for how we broadcast this data. So um, in a future where you're going to go purchase, for example, an automobile that's going to have this hardware embedded in it that's broadcasting and receiving this data, that hardware module is actually at random intervals changing its signature back to the system. Also, there's no identifiable information that we're collecting as part of that standard. So we're not getting your VIN, your license plate number. We're not even getting um, vehicle make, vehicle color, anything like that. All the data that we're collecting is really sensor set data that's in the vehicle that's telling us about what's happening from an operation standpoint in and around the vehicle. So it's kind of baked right into the standards, right? Um, if you're rolling off a lot today, you're going to benefit from it, but you're really sharing with us data that we're going to aggregate. We're not looking at singling out any one particular speedy driver, for example, to enforce um, speed control or something like that or to ticket you. That's, that's not really part of it. And frankly, it's not really um, possible, at least not without opting in uh, and identifying yourself to the system. That's good to know. And the same, yeah. same goes with hacking your car, I'm assuming. You can't just... yeah hack into so, it and, and take over. Exactly right. Yeah. So we are, of course, partnered with um, some firms that are working very specifically on what you would call a security credential management system. So every single vehicle that would have this technology embedded and all of our hardware throughout the entire network is going to have this, this um, security credential system. Um, if you're a bad actor to the system or you aren't a part of this trusted network with this security credential, um, you can't actually transmit and we're just going to drop any data that you provide to the system kind of right on the floor. So that's how we're, we're thinking about managing security. Awesome. And I'm 
also interested in, in some long-term views that I know Panasonic is, is, like you said, involved in so many different areas. And in this area specifically, I feel like there's so much that can be done as autonomous everything becomes more in vogue, let's say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how you kind of use this technology for for other things, for good in other ways, whether that's, you know, to combat climate change or, or to like you were saying, to make things safer. Are there other uses for this kind of connected technology, this machine learning, this AI, all of this that you're working with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're seeing the rise of this type of platform um, take hold in all sorts of industries, right? Everything from um, healthcare and elsewise. But I think, you know, you touched on a fantastic use case as it relates specifically to our work in transportation, which is fighting climate change or, or the emissions that are, are um, set to cause that climate change, right? Mm-hmm. By increasing efficiency on the roadway, by decreasing the number of crashes, by um, more effectively being able to advise drivers in terms of how to operate their vehicles so that we all get where we're going as quickly and safely as possible. Of course, you're talking about driving down emissions, um, reducing congestion, uh, reducing those, those backups, right? So we hope to have a pretty significant impact there. And to your point also, you know, autonomous vehicles are absolutely coming, but the first challenge you have to solve to really get to a true, what we call level five or fully autonomous vehicle system is how do you get those vehicles as much high resolution, high quality, low latency data as is possible. And a lot of that can be done with localized sensors, right? Um, LIDAR, ultrasonic, um, camera and machine vision that's kind of all baked into the vehicle. But I think that you're going to have to augment all of that with connected vehicle technology if you're going to really get to level five. So beyond just kind of enabling that, it's also a question of how do you also manage those systems? What you don't want is just, you know, um, 20 some odd automakers all with their own version of autonomous driving that are all trying to outcompete one another right. for um, <laughs> space and efficiency stuff. Right. You've got to have some way to help create kind of a, a synergy or, or a cohesion in terms of how we operate autonomous vehicles. So um, that's certainly kind of the long tail of exactly what we're, we're angling towards as we kick this off. I'd love to go through just quickly some of the, the things that are connected or can be connected vehicle to vehicle. You touched on some of them. There's LiDAR systems, there's the IoT, or everything. But what else, what other kind of systems are, are being connected or, or will be connected, do you think, in the future? Yeah. And are you talking specifically about transportation? Like how do we expand beyond just the vehicle? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, I'll give you a perfect example of some work that's being done right now as it relates to connected vehicle, and that's the traffic signals, Mm -hmm. right? So um, there are already companies today that are selling, I think, some of their technology to some some, um, higher end vehicle makers where you'll actually get real-time alerts on speed guidance for how to drive through a a signalized corridor so that you catch as many green lights as possible. Or um, maybe you need to slow down because you're rapidly approaching an intersection and the car already knows that the light's about to cycle from yellow to red, right? And it doesn't blowing through the intersection. So that's a, a perfect example. I think it becomes even more interesting when rather than just simply telling you this is when you can expect a next green light. This is when we're expecting a red light. Maybe now you've got a citywide perspective on what traffic is doing on a minute-to-minute basis, where cars are turning, how traffic is kind of flowing through your network. And I think you eventually get to a place where you can automate a lot of the logic so that you can actually change in real time the green, yellow, red light cycles. And you can create more efficiency in terms of getting vehicles moving and keeping them moving on roadways. And again, not based on historical data or what were cars doing yesterday, but based on drivers and operators interacting with the system right now at this moment. So 
Um, those are some great examples. Yeah. So, so if drivers and operators are interacting with the system, so your car knows, say that you're approaching a red light, it's not going to stop itself. It's going to tell you, Hey, you're approaching a red light, but that's kind of the the next step, it seems like, right? We're- exactly right. Yeah. So for now, we're not talking about taking any sort of command or control of your vehicle. What mm-hmm. we're talking about is some sort of an elevated alert saying, hey, you might want to consider slowing down because you're about to get a yellow to red light, right? And you're, and you're not, you're not going to make it, or at least you, you shouldn't try to make it, right? <laughs> you shouldn't, you shouldn't, no uh, no evil can evils here, please. Exactly. No evil can evils. So, um, <laughs> so that's exactly it. But again, as we talk about more and more autonomous systems, um, maybe you do want to send some sort of uh, more than just an alert, but actual instructions to that system, you're about to get that slowdown, please stop, right? Um, or, or stop instructions. So I think that's exactly kind of how we're thinking about iterating on this over time. That's awesome. All right. So what else do you want to share? Any other use cases you can think of? Any other awesome projects uh, before we get into the lightning round? Anything else we haven't covered that you want to cover? Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, there's another really cool use case that I would touch on really quickly, and that's really the detection of pedestrians and intersections, right? I mean, if you can simply connect um, camera or other systems, which are already looking at the intersection, and you can see that a cyclist is moving through or, or a couple of um, pedestrians are, are moving through, you can, of course, elevate an alert or otherwise do something to stop a vehicle from potentially blowing through and, and causing those fatalities. So um, that's another thing that I think is kind of quote unquote, low hanging fruit, right? And something that we should solve quickly, especially in major metropolitan areas like um, New York City, for example, I think a majority of their um, traffic related fatalities are actually pedestrian interactions, right? Uh, that, is, of- that is true as a New Yorker and a cyclist yeah. and a frequent pedestrian, it is not safe out there for us. Absolutely. And this <laughs> is where I think digitalizing that technology, applying IoT and really getting that alert into the vehicle cabin um, is probably the easiest way to start to save lives as quickly as is possible. That's so interesting. And it's it's such good work that's being done that I think not enough people know about. So that's why we're really excited to have you guys on the show to, to talk about this and to see where you guys go in the future. Like this is very exciting. And I'm curious, what do you think the future looks like? Just from your perspective, yeah. five years from now, 10 years from now, what do you dream of seeing? What do you hope okay. to see? And what do you think will actually be the case? So I had said at the outset of this whole interview that I am an optimist mm-hmm. and I promise I am. <laughs> so uh, I think that my dreams, hopes, and what I expect all align. Oh, well, that's um, nice. Yeah. So I'll kind of share, I'll share two things with you. So number one, um, I have a nine month old daughter and I tell my wife all the time that she will never have a driver's license. And by that, I don't mean that we're going to be restrictive parents and we're not going to let her. (laughs) But I sincerely hope that um, if technology firms like Panasonic and and others do their job, I suspect that by the time, you know, 15 or 16 years from now, she won't need a driver's license because we really will have these incredibly safe systems that can um, transport goods and services all over the country, right? So I really think that the rise of automation is here. I think it's, I think it's actually quite a bit closer than, than most people think. And there's a lot of exciting uh, innovation going on in, in particular in that space. But beyond that, I think that one of the interesting things that's going to happen with automation is there's going to be this migration, I think, away from potentially away from private ownership. So you may not even want to own your vehicle. 
Instead, what I think we might move to is what's called mobility as a service, right? So think of it as Lyft or Uber of today, but with autonomous vehicles. So rather than going through the expense and headache of purchasing, maintaining, upkeeping a vehicle, instead it probably makes a lot more sense to subscribe to a particular automaker or somebody else who's a, a fleet provider and use your smartphone or whatever it is that we're using in 10 years, right, to effectively hail and otherwise schedule the rides to and from work, to and from the grocery store, anywhere that you need to go. Um, that accomplishes a couple of things. Number one, it becomes really, really efficient in terms of how do you scale this technology far and wide. And just as importantly, how do you make it accessible to everybody? Mm -hmm. But it also reduces one of the major challenges that could be introduced through autonomous vehicles, which is if we all own autonomous vehicles, what's going to happen is you may actually increase the number of miles being driven by all of those vehicles rather than decrease it. Because what's going to happen is you may shuttle off to work in the morning and then send the car back to the house for your spouse or your children to use, right? right? So yeah. Now you've got empty lane miles where that car is driving to and from destinations multiple times simply because you can. So that may actually increase congestion or increase um, carbon emissions, some of the things we're trying to tackle. So automation is where I think we're headed. And I think that there's got to be some sort of a sharing kind of a, a mobility as a service space, which opens up an interesting question and maybe an opportunity for somebody out there. What are we all going to do with our garages when we no longer have cars? <laughs> I mean, that is the question. Yeah, that is I'm the key in, issue that we have to deal with now. Pitching a man cave to my wife now, <laughs> now, years in advance. You know, I'm already mapping it out. What's going to exactly. go? Exactly. Well, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be in touch. We'll do a dual interview with you, your wife and your daughter to see right. how, what you guys are doing, what your, what your garage looks like and whether or not your daughter has a driver's I, I license. I look forward to the, uh, the 15 year <laughs> follow up. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, all right, Kellen, let's get into the lightning round. Fast, easy questions brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question one. What app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? I've got to go with my Audible account. I am addicted to all things audiobooks, mm -hmm. and a close second has got to be my native Apple podcast app because... Kellen, that leads me so perfectly into the next question. What is a, a favorite podcast or book you've let, read or listened to recently? I've got a couple of each. So my personal passion is all things like health and lifestyle optimization. Mm -hmm. So I can't help but plug a podcast called The Drive by Dr. Peter Atia. It's nice. absolutely one of my favorite if you like to nerd out on medicine. And then as far as Audible goes, I have a recommendation. It's a book that was recently released called Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have to by Dr. David A. Sinclair. Um, again, cannot recommend that one highly enough. I'm often skeptical of those type of titles, but this is a PhD at Harvard who's doing some tremendous work and actually showing that we may be able to reverse aging, which is probably a podcast for another time. Uh, I mean, again, we'll check in with you in 15 years and see how that <laughs> That's went. That's right. I plan to be reverse <laughs> aging, so I should be a little younger than I am today. Awesome. Uh, all right. You mentioned earlier you were a ski bum. Best place to ski in the area? Yeah, so I'm going to catch some flack for this because a lot of folks in Colorado are diehard like Aspen Vale, mm -hmm. but I spent so much time in Breckenridge that it just feels like home to me. So I've got to go with uh, Breckenridge Mountain. Nice. Yeah. Uh, all right. What is your favorite thing to do for fun that isn't skiing? Could be skiing. Maybe it is. Yeah. Um, without a doubt, it's a two-part tie. Um so I'm pretty into hot yoga and also obsessed with mountain biking. So those nice. are the two, the two hobbies. 
Mountain biking, Colorado, you're in a good spot for that. I'm in, I'm in the spot, yep. <laughs> All right. Best advice for a first-time director of strategic initiatives? Best advice for first-time director of strategic initiatives. Cast a wide net and have your ears on. I would say that you've got to get out and interact with as many people as possible. Very few of the best partnerships that we've had have come as the result of um, being in office or hiding behind email. It's all about shaking hands, getting out to conferences, interacting with the folks that are really pushing the envelope as it relates to uh, the near future and, and how their ideas are, are set to impact that. Awesome. I love it. All right. Last question. What is one question you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I would say as it relates to the work that we do, you know, the question that we never get asked by the general driving public that we would love to get engaged with more often is how do I sign up? How do I get uh -huh. this technology in my car? Um, and how do I kind of contribute to that type of a thing? Right. So, um, well, how do you, that's a great question. I think you'd have to get in contact with me and see if we could make something happen. We've got a, <laughs> got a whole fleet of folks here that are happy to introduce me to X technology wherever we can. Awesome. And we love that. We would happily connect any of our listeners to you. Any other open recs, anything that you want to plug, anything before we go? No, I don't think so. I, I want to say thank you so much for uh, having me on. This is truly a pleasure. You know, you, you kind of covered that previous question by simply asking me about the work that I do and, and frankly, taking the time to ask some deep questions and actually get to the heart of, of what it means and, and how it impacts us all or how we, we hope to have it impact us all. Those are the questions that I, I love to spend time answering. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to have you. And uh, like I said, we look forward to see what Panasonic comes out with in the future, how this changes the way we, we move, basically. Great. Great. Thanks so much, Hillary. Thanks, Kellen. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. <laughs>